bet the game. Sounds crazy, Frank. <laughs> Maybe just crazy enough to work. Sports betting with an Oregon lean. Powered by Sports Radio 750, The Game, Portland's most listened to sports station. You probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. Now, here are your hosts, Judah Newby and Zach Schlegel. What's up, y'all? Bet the Game is back. Judah Newby, Zach Schlegel. And with the NFL behind us, time to cast the vision forward, Zach, College Hoops, and the XFL. Yes, sir. It's going to be part of our content going forward. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to make the transition. I know a lot of people probably don't know a whole lot about the league or these teams or the yeah. players, anything like that. But I did watch every game week one XFL. What? So like the degenerate you are <laughs> yes sir staying true yeah i had to check it out i had to see how the new rules applied what the game flow looked like yeah. how these players were were playing and really just kind of what was the quality of football overall right right well we'll talk about that in a little bit plus college hoops in full throw as well talk about where the ducks uh are doing and where they might be seated currently Going into the stretch run of Pac-12 Conference play, big win for them last night. Mm-hmm. Coming out of the Super Bowl, the NFL season wrapped up behind us. Your 49ers uh, lose a heartbreaker to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, from a betting standpoint, too, you know, it ended up being the Chiefs in the under, yeah. which kind of surprised some people. I wonder how that affected Vegas. Was that something Vegas was hoping for? With uh, I'm sure a lot of public money was coming in on mm-hmm. the Chiefs in the over. Mm-hmm. Eh, it came in on the Chiefs, sure, but at least the under came through. Yeah, and I wonder about live betting, too, in the Super Bowl. Like, how many people bet the Chiefs live fourth quarter down 10? Right. You know, clearly some people cashed out on that one. I guess overall, to wrap it up, Judah, it was heartbreaking. It was tough to see the 49ers play so well all game on defense, holding the Chiefs offense to just 10 points all the way up until seven minutes left to go. And the play of the game, really, to me, I happen to record it live in the moment, but that third and 15 play... Um, they call it a wasp play, Ooh, the Chiefs, yeah. and it really stung <laughs> the 49ers on that one, Tyreek yes. Hill. They had run that play in the first half. The only difference is Ty- Tyreek Hill, instead of going directly at the safety, he cut to the corner and found himself wide open, and Patrick Mahomes just made a beautiful throw and broke my heart. Well, and that play made you a TikTok superstar. It did. It did. You recorded it. You put it on TikTok this yeah. week, and it's just blown up, man. Yeah, 25,000 views. Golly, where, where are you at? At Zach Schlegel, what, what, yeah. how does TikTok work? Oh, man, TikTok. So I, I created one a couple months ago. Didn't do anything with it, uh, but I know it's getting big. I know Gary Vee's all about it. So I was like, why not just throw some content on there, make a video? Decided to do it this week, and it's just kind of cool. Like, you can get, you could literally do anything, get creative with it. It's sort of like Vine 2.0. Yeah. Right. Right. You can That's add a good way some, to put it. yeah, you can add some music to the background, some audio cuts, do some edits, video edits, whatnot. So I made one and it happened to blow up and go crazy. And 25,000 views later, uh, who knows? I may have a thing going here. We uh, talked about some prop bets as well. Kyle Juszczyk, anytime touchdown score, mm-hmm. he gets into the end zone. Would have liked to have seen more Debo Samuel in the yeah. second half of that game from a production standpoint. Were there any other key prop bets that ended up hitting? Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. As an anytime touchdown score, which right. also means non-throwing. Mm-hmm. And he did get into the yeah. end zone. Yeah. And he was the, was he the first touchdown? He was. Yeah. 
Um, that was crazy because of the, I think, four anytime touchdown props we talked about, I think two two of them for sure hit with Kyle Juszczyk and Patrick Mahomes. There might have been one other, but yeah, I was, I was also disappointed that Debo didn't continue to get the ball in the second half there and um, also very disappointed that Kyle Shanahan, again, is being crucified for not running the football in the fourth quarter with a big lead. Anyone that really knows what they're talking about should not be crucifying Kyle Shanahan, all right? I mean, the narrative is convenient, but it's not accurate. That's that's my take right. on that. I think mm-hmm. people that know football, that watch football from a day-in, day-out standpoint, this was not a catastrophic failure by Kyle Shanahan. No. This was a partnership of the Chiefs being elite and Patrick Mahomes being awesome, partnered with a little bit of failure from the San Francisco defense. But mm-hmm. I tell you what, the Kansas City defense is one of those units that doesn't get a lot of attention they played outstanding football when they had to mm-hmm. and shut out that potent 49er offense in the second half. They and Steve Spagnola should be getting a lot of credit coming out of that as well. Additionally, yep. the Damian Williams over under yeah. uh, rushing. We talked oh, about man. that in our Super Bowl preview as well. He ends up going uh, plenty over that yep. and gets uh, near 100 total yards and a touchdown as well. Right, so someone lost a quarter of a million there. Two touchdowns, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Receiving and a rushing. That's brutal for whoever bet that. Yeah, um, He should have been the MVP. Right. He should have been the MVP, Just like not James Patrick White. Mahomes. Just like James White in that Super Bowl. But even in that Super Bowl, at least Brady went over 300 yards right. and threw a bunch of touchdowns. Yeah. Like, Mahomes had himself an objectively bad game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yes, he did his thing. Yes, his team won. But Damian Williams had better stats for the position. And, you know, two touchdowns and nearly 100 total yards. He, he affected the game more is I, the way I see it. I guess so. I for, think from so. From a proportional standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because Mahomes is the quarterback, mm-hmm. so he is going to affect the game more than a running back would, just positionally. Yeah. But, you know, for a four-quarter, 60-minute game, Damian Williams had the better game than Pat Mahomes. But, you know, we might be splitting hairs. Sure. I'll always remember Damian Williams, though, as the guy that, in my mind, should have been MVP. Similar, yeah, to mm-hmm. your point, like James White. So what's next for your 49ers? Is Jimmy Garoppolo still a quarterback that could be considered a franchise QB? Did he have any culpability with this uh, fourth quarter collapse, if you will, or the failure to close out the Chiefs Mm. in the Super Bowl? And does that factor in at all with the 49ers' direction moving forward? Yeah, naturally, people are going to criticize him. Uh, For me, I was impressed with Jimmy G for most of the season. He didn't need to do a whole lot because, again, they relied on that defense and that ground game. And that's, I think, what is disappointing again. And again, it's not Kyle Shanahan's fault, but... You know, the run, the run game was working. Their defense was stout all year, and I feel like they should have leaned on it a little bit more in the fourth quarter. Jimmy G, I'm not going to say, hey, we need to get rid of the guy. Like, all this talk about, you know, let's get rid of Jimmy G. Let's bring in Tom Brady for a couple of years and see if we can utilize this great defense we have with Tom Brady and everything that he's done over the course of his career, and maybe we can get a championship. And then after that, it'll feel better, right, to rebuild after a Super Bowl championship. And, yeah, that is true. But Jimmy G is so young, and what, he's had 28 starts in his career, something like that. He is so young, and he's shown flashes to me of being a great quarterback in the NFL. Like, I don't know if he's going to be a Hall of Fame type guy, if he's going to walk in the footsteps of Tom Brady and, and repeat the success that Brady has had. I don't think anyone really will ever <laughs> repeat that kind of success, that many rings. But... Um, I would stick with Jimmy G. As a 49er fan, I think we we stick with him and we continue to just build on what we've already done because this team, this team was prepared and ready and built for a championship this past year. And it's just unfortunate the narrative happened to be Patrick Mahomes 
three comebacks in the playoffs, and he happened to do it against the Niners when they needed to in the fourth quarter. And again, going back to that third and 15 play, had we stopped him there, the 49ers would have won the Super Bowl. So, you know, let's stop let's stop uh, ragging on Jimmy G right now, and let's just kind of like calm down, hold our horses for a minute, and let's just continue to not make these drastic moves and decisions that most franchises do or that a lot of fans are maybe calling for right now. So I say stick with Jimmy G, stay the course, and I'm I'm excited to see what this team does. But looking at the Rams from the previous year, there is something called a Super Bowl slump, and we saw that happen to the Rams. I think the 49ers are built a little better to continue to repeat the success that they had. But it's going to take even more effort than they put forth this season to get back to the Super Bowl. And it's going to be tough. All right, Zach. Well, there is still professional football. Technically, technically, there is still professional football mm-hmm. that's being played. And uh, the XFL wrapped up week one. You just said you watched every single game. Did you know going into the weekend you were going to sit down and watch every game, or did it uh, have to grow on you first? I knew that on Saturday I was going to watch both games. I knew that yeah. for a fact. Because Saturday right. I just kind of opened up the schedule. I was going to watch those. I didn't know about Sunday, but I knew Saturday and ended up watching all of them. So First game was uh, Seattle Dragons, D.C. Defenders. You're trying to adopt uh, the Seattle Dragons as your team. I am. 31-19, D.C. wins. I assume they covered the spread there. D.C. did cover the spread, but it was uh, it was like a bad beat because it was a pick six at the end of the game that oh, covered. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Then you had uh, Houston Roughnecks uh, roughed up the L.A. Wildcats yep. 37-17. Sunday, New York Guardians. I believe this was an outright upset of the Tampa Bay Vipers. Yeah. 23-3. Yep. And the St. Louis Battlehawks. Beat the Dallas Renegades Sunday afternoon, fifteen to nine. That was the biggest upset of the weekend. What was the spread on that? Uh, the Renegades, Dallas was favored by about nine, nine and a half, Ooh, and they put up only nine points. Yeah, play but, the under. But no Landry Jones in that game. He'll be back week two, so that was big. What's going on with him? Disciplinary stuff? <laughs> <laughs> nah, just some injury going on. And then Jordan Tamu, yeah, uh, the, yeah, from uh, Ole Miss. He was pretty good for. Uh, for St. Louis, the Battle Hawks. All right. So your overall observations and takeaways mm-hmm. from week one in the XFL, it sounds like you're pretty impressed. You're buying in. Yeah, I'm I'm bought in. I think the league, it was impressive. The quality of football was solid. It was fun. It was entertaining. The new rules to me brought sort of a breath of fresh air because it really is just normal football being played. But these, you know, the way they do the kickoff is different. On extra points, you can't kick an extra point. You either go for one, two, or three. If you go for one, it's from the two-yard line. Go for uh, two, it's from the five. You go for three, it's from the ten. So now it's like there's this new strategy to the game that coaches have to be thinking about all the time. And by allowing teams to go for three, it means that even if it's a nine-point game, it's still one possession. Mm-hmm. right? So I really, I really like that. In terms of the kickoff, um, it was very, very successful because their whole goal was to try to reduce the amount of touchbacks. Yeah, this was a big one. I mm-hmm. saw a lot of reaction to this on social media. Yeah, so 35 kickoffs. Yeah. 32 of them were returned, 91%. That's so good. That's successful. In 2019, only 36% of kickoffs in the NFL were returned. Yep. So Sounds about right. Yeah. So um, they're trying to eliminate the big hits, the collisions going head-to-head. They line up the teams literally facing each other 10 yards away. 
um, on the receiving side. And the only players that can move on the kickoff are the kicker and the returner. And then the other guys have to wait until the ball is received before they can move. So we haven't seen a kickoff return touchdown yet, but you can imagine we're going to see some because those lanes, as long as they can open up those lanes right when the the returner gets through, it's to the house. It's to the house, yeah. Mm -hmm. Their media presentation of the games was interesting, too. That was. seemed like they really embraced the gambling and the betting aspect of this, almost like a mandate. Did they go overboard with it, or did you find it intriguing, the the constant references to betting lines and spreads in the XFL games? Yeah, I don't think they overdid it at all. I really like the fact that they had the spread on the scoreboard. Um, they had, because the games were on, what was it? It was ABC ESPN and, and Fox. You and know. Fo- yeah. So one of the broadcasts, they had the lineup there the entire time. The other, they would flash it every now and then. What I think that they should do, um, let, let's say, going back to the DC Seattle game, they had DC and then they had a little minus nine and a half next to DC's score. Um, just to indicate that DC was favored by nine and a half. What would be cool is if they adjusted it to the team that is currently covering so if Seattle is covering or winning, you would have that minus nine and a half flip to a plus nine and a half on Seattle's side of the scoreboard. Smart. That would be cool. That's smart. Yeah. Right. They also had the total on there. So yeah, I, I do enjoy the fact that they're embracing the betting aspect. Clearly, it's something that they've talked about and they wanted to do going into the XFL. Uh, you mentioned the access, uh, the reporters, the media. Yeah. These reporters can go right up to the players right after a play and interview them about a certain play. Like, hey, what happened on that fumble? What were you thinking there? What was the play? Um, so we get this really uh, personal experience with the players, the coaches. And on top of that, there's a lot of transparency with replay reviews and the referees. So when they were replaying a certain play, they'd go up to the booth and you were actually viewing the guy in the replay booth and hearing what he's saying as he's looking at the replay. Um, And then even in half times, you're in the locker room with the team hearing the coaches. So it's just like one of those, it's a fan experience unlike any other, which I I really enjoyed. And I think they did a great job. Well, and that brings us to what is going to be a weekly segment called Mm -hmm. Zach's XFL Power Rankings. Yes, sir. I can't believe we're actually doing this. But we are. Uh-huh. Teams one through eight. Let's go eight to number one and just kind of give your take on each team so far. Who is last in your power rankings? The last team, number eight, is the Los Angeles Wildcats. And that's a big market. Mm-hmm. And LA's not going to like LA. this. But yeah, this is not going to go over well with our LA audience. No. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the Wildcats, um, reason they're eighth. They got absolutely destroyed by the Houston Roughnecks. I watched the game. Yep. Four point or four yards per play. That was the worst in the league. Ooh. They were three of fifteen on third downs. Their quarterback was sacked fifteen times, Chad Kanoff. Now, Josh Johnson is supposed to be the quarterback for them, and we know he's pretty talented as a football player, but he's been injured, thigh injury. He's working on that. He's limited this week. So Kanoff got the start. He actually played okay. Um, but ultimately, L.A. wasn't able to do much uh, throughout the game except get Nelson Spruce involved. Hey, Colorado. A little Pac-12 Colorado. He had 15 targets, 11 receptions, 103 yards. Uh, L.A. also has Nick Novak, a kicker that's been you know through the NFL for years, since nice. 2005. So L.A. Wildcats coming in at eighth at the bottom of the barrel there for me. Number seven, I got the Tampa Bay Vipers. And this is a team that's very, very interesting because on the scoreboard, they only put up three points. And if you didn't watch the game, you'd think, oh, this team is awful. And I have them at seven, right? 
But it's only because it's week one and they did only put up three points. And the reason they only put up three points is because their red zone offense was atrocious. Mm. They averaged 5.5 yards per play. So their offense was moving the ball, but they were 0 for 4 in the red zone, 0 for 4 on goal to go situations. Um, but if you look at the other stats, they were 7 of 15 on third down. That's great. A 19 first downs. And they doubled the yardage that New York had. So the Vipers are a team that. They, they were able to get the ball moving. They had a great run game. Davion Smith from Michigan, hmm. 16 carries, 79 yards. Jaquez Patrick, remember him from Florida State, 8 carries, 32 yards. Um, they also have Quinton Flowers there as their backup quarterback. Um, Aaron Murray is the starter. He had a bad game, two interceptions. A um, couple other players on the team, key guys. Uh, Dan Williams, the receiver, led the league in receiving for week one with 123 yards receiving. And they have a lot of depth at quarterback overall. I mentioned already Aaron Murray and uh, what's his name? Flowers. Flowers, yes. And then yeah, Taylor. UCF. Right, and right. then Taylor Cornelius, mm. Oklahoma State, and then Chase Or USF. Litton. I can't remember where Flowers went. Uh, USF. He was a Taggart quarterback at USF. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. correct. Um, and even Chase Litton here from Marshall. So they have they have good quarterback depth there. Tampa Bay is a team to look out for. Even though they only put up three points, they're better than the score indicated. All right, who's number six? Number six, Dallas Renegades. They, Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops. And, and I just love Play it. Play the under. <laughs> I just, yeah, very under in that game. I, I love the fact that Dallas lost their yeah. first XFL game. Obviously, I always root against them. <laughs> Suck it, Dallas. Suck it, Dallas. Uh, Boy, no, we are just making friends everywhere today. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. No yeah. Dallas guys are going to like us. Really incorporating big markets. <laughs> uh, Landry Jones did not play in the opener, though. That was pretty much the—that uh, was a big deal in the game, obviously, because most were expecting him to play, and most were expecting him to have a great game. It's not in their very first... extreme of him to sit out the uh, XFL opener. Right. What exactly. is wrong with him? Right. Uh, he's— I guess it was dealing with an injury. I'm not sure the exact details on it. But Dallas averaged four and a half yards per play. They were 0 for 2 in the red zone. They did have the fewest penalty yards in the league, but one of 10 on third down is not going to cut it for you. Mm. Uh, Their backup quarterback, Phillip Nelson, statistically did pretty good. 79% completion percentage, uh, 209 yards through a pick, no touchdowns. But they spread the ball well. They have Cameron Artis Payne at running back. Auburn. Auburn, right. Flynn Nagel, wide receiver from Northwestern, a little slot guy, led the team with six receptions. Flynn Nagel? Flynn Nagel. That's on my all-XFL first-team name. Yes, sir. And Jazz Ferguson. Oh, back-to-back. You remember that guy? Yeah. He he was on Seattle for a bit. That's right. um, No, he worked out with him like this past offseason in this training camp, I'm pretty sure. Jazz Ferguson. What a name. What a guy. 6'5", 227. So he's, he's a big, big target out there. Didn't do much in this game but look out for him so dallas number six moving on to number five here the st louis Battlehawks. they got a win um over dallas there but again the reason i have them at five and not higher than that is because dallas was without their star quarterback yeah. and you know and i have to see another game from st louis to see really if what we saw on the field um is going to continue who's off- coaching that team I'm not exactly sure. I'll have to look that up. But Jordan Tamu is their quarterback. He was very efficient, effective, 20 of 27. Jonathan Hayes. Jonathan Hayes. And all the all the coaches, Judah, have um, their roots from the NFL. Right. Right. So that's very big for the league. 
Um, going back to the Battle Hawks here, though, they were they averaged 5.3 yards per play. They were good in the red zone, two of three. Uh, 24 first downs. That's great. 50% on third down. So they were efficient. And their running back, Matt Jones, he's 6'2", 235 pounds. He carried the ball. Is that Kentucky? Who is that? Um, Matt Jones. He might have been, yeah. He's a big boy. He was in the NFL on the Redskins, I remember, because he was a fantasy option. Um, so he's he's a big boy for them. Jordan oh, Florida. He was a Florida back. That's Florida? Right. Yeah. Okay, so they're they're a physical team. The Battlehawks. I, I did like. I liked what I saw. Physical on offense. Physical on defense. Jordan Tamu is the type of guy that you know. I trust him. He can use his legs. He's he did a lot of good things at Ole Miss, but he had a couple great receivers as well during his time at Ole Miss. So St. Louis coming in at fifth. Now I have my Seattle Dragons ahead of them at number four, even with the loss. But their loss was a good loss. Yeah, it was to DC. Of course, you, the, anytime you go across the country, Eastern Time Zone, right. this is classic XFL trap game. <laughs> it's tough, right out of the gate. You know, week one, yep. yeah, that's a tough spot for them. They come back home this week though against Tampa Bay. I'm pretty sure they do. They play the Vibes, and they're an underdog against the Vibes, even with Aaron they're a home Murray. Dog. Out. Against the Vibes with Aaron Murray out. Yes. Boy, I don't understand these lines. It's interesting, but I, I I do understand it for the fact that, you know, what I was talking about with the Vibes is that they were just bad in the, the red zone. I love this. The Vibes. They're bad in the red zone. Is that they, Tressman? Could be. Yeah, Tressman. Yeah, I'm sorry, so. I don't have the coaches in front of me here. But, um, but all the coaches, again, have roots in the NFL, so they're experienced. Um, the Dragons, dude, I was impressed with the Dragons, yeah, how they Tres- played. Yeah. Tressman. Mm-hmm. The Dragons got an early lead in the game. They were big underdogs, nine-point underdogs at D.C. Um, It was tied 19-all in the third quarter, and it was a one-possession game until four minutes left in the game when they threw a pick six, and ultimately that was a backdoor, or sorry, a a bad beat cover. Uh, D.C. covered the line of nine there on on that play and won by 12. Now, Seattle, 19 first downs. That's good. 4.8 yards per play. Decent. Um, their rushing attack is what really impressed me because they have Kenneth Farrow from Houston, mm. right? Uh, Jaquan Gardner, I'm not sure who that guy is, but he ran well. And Trey Williams from Texas A&M. I do remember him. Stable of healthy backs. Yes, That's yes. what wins. It is. Yeah. It is. So Seattle, great backfield, really solid defense. On offense, Brandon Silvers, I think he threw the ball a little bit too much. He's injured this week. It could be B.J. Daniels starting. Um, who had a little stint in the NFL, was on my Niners for a bit. They got Keenan Reynolds at wide receiver. Austin Navy. Prohl, mm-hmm. was, uh, the, he caught the first touchdown of the XFL. Prohl? Prohl. He must be related to Ricky Prohl somehow. I think he is, yes. Uh, North Carolina guy. Nice. And possession guy, Edelman guy, right? Mm-hmm. So he had two touchdowns on the game. And then Cason Williams. He's the son of Ricky Prohl. He is. Starting to get old, man. We're starting to get into that territory. Oh, I know. I know. It's crazy. Uh, so, Cason Williams, Washington guy. Yeah. Right? So, he's banged up, too. They got Will Sutton, ASU, right? Oh, nice. Defensive tackle there. Steven Johnson, their linebacker, led the team with eight tackles, two tackles for loss. He's a beast. So, overall, this Seattle team really impressed me. They had a tough one in the opener, obviously, at D.C., who is... Uh, projected to be the best team in the XFL. I think yeah. they're the best odds to win it right now. So 
Great job by Seattle. We'll see how they do if they can get that home win against the Vipes. I believe they do. We'll get to that. All right. 3-2-1. Who's number three? 3-2-1, New York Guardians. Um, great defense. They they had good defense when it counted against the Vipers, holding them to zero touchdowns on the game. Hmm. Um, I mean, they forced the Vipes into three turnovers when they got inside the 10-yard line on them. So, Unbelievable. That's really stout defense when it counts. Um, we'll see how they do this weekend. Are we allowed to call them the G-men? The New York Guardians, or is that the just G-Men. for the Giants? Ooh. The G-Men? That might be a stretch, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the Giants are going to uh, uh, take that, but we'll see. Um, Matt McGloin <laughs> is their quarterback. And, oh, put him in the hall already. I mean, this guy had a heck of an NFL career. He was there for a long time. I'm considering him the Tom Brady of the XFL. Not I saw be- you tweet that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Not because of his talent, but because of his experience. He's mature, yeah. and I think he just needs to just, you know, just keep it simple, right? Their yeah, defense yeah. is good. Um, at receiver, they got Mikhail, uh, uh, Mikhail McKay, Colby Pearson, and Joe Horn Jr. Oh, my gosh. We know who that is, right? Son of Joe He's Horn. He's the son of Ricky Prohl. Wait, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we have the son of Ricky Prohl and the son of Joe Horn in the XFL. That's so. pretty amazing. So that's good. New York, number three right there. And then to two and one, we got the D.C. Defenders oh, beating my Seattle. Oh, you're bitter. You're bitter. That's why you didn't put them at one. I am bitter because I think a team, there's a team that impressed me a little bit more than okay. D.C. Um, Cardell Jones is on D.C. We know what he did to the Ducks in the national championship game. He did a lot of that against Seattle this past weekend. Very impressive. 62% completion, two touchdowns. They have Eli Rogers, Malachi Dupree. Eli Rogers, former mm-hmm. Pittsburgh Steeler. Yes, yeah. yes. Malachi okay. Dupree, LSU. There you go. Um, so good receivers. Donnell Pumphrey at running back. San Diego State. Yep, yep. He, he, he's uh, all-time leading rusher all-time in leading NCAA rusher. history, yep. technically. <laughs> yep, yep. Even though it was San Diego State yeah. in that conference. But, um, and I think they, and they also have Scooby Wright. Scoops. Scoops. Oh, Arizona linebacker, yeah, right? That's yeah, that's right. That guy was good. He was good. He's uh, so he's injured currently, but they got some names there on DC. That's and true. Then, Scooby Wright was always hurt. He was, yeah, going into the NFL. So he, I'm not he surprised. Was, he was like a Heisman candidate for a minute too. For a hot minute, yeah. Mm-hmm. For a hot minute, he was that good. Yep. Um, so DC number two, and then number one, number one on the charts, the Houston Roughnecks, and my roommate Jeff. Um, he has claimed the Roughnecks as his team, but he did it before the games were played. So, oh. you so know, this he, is pandering to roommate Jeff a little bit, putting them one in the power rankings. Eh, a little bit, but you know, <laughs> I, but I, I was impressed with Houston. Um, they had they averaged five point seven yards per play. That's the best in the league. Explosivo. They were yep three of four in the red zone, mm. two of two in goal to go situations. Mm. They had ten quarterback hits um, on the LA quarterback Knopf. So their defense was getting after it. They had the most touchdowns in the league with five. P.J. Walker, the Temple quarterback, was excellent. 62% completion, almost 300 yards, four touchdowns. Love it. So he led the league there in touchdown passes, only one pick. Great second-half adjustments. They outscored L.A. 19-0 in the second half. Couple other key players, Cam Phillips and Sammy Coates at wide receiver. Sammy Coates is playing in the XFL? He is. Wow, love it. He is. So the Roughnecks, number one on my charts, and I'm going to adjust this every week. Nice. Um, but there's the breakdown of the power That's, rankings. That's uh, June Jones, the head coach there of Houston, the longtime uh, Portland State legend, June Jones. Yeah. Played quarterback here and, of course, uh, went on to have a great, great uh, playing and coaching career as well. Yep. That's week one of Zach's power rankings of the XFL. What are you looking for in week two here, part of the uh, – 
schedule I'll dial up here. Saturday at 11 a.m., New York Guardians at the D.C. Defenders. That's number three at number two in your power rankings Mm -hmm. in that early Saturday game on ABC. Then Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock on Fox, Tampa Bay Vipers at the Seattle Dragons. Somebody going to get into the win column for the first time. Sunday at noon on ABC, the Dallas Renegades at the L.A. Wildcats. And then Sunday at 3 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, the Seattle Battle or St. Louis Battlehawks go to Houston to take on June Jones, number one in Zach's power rankings, Houston Roughnecks. Roughnecks. Should be good. The best matchup there, what do you think? Is it uh, New York, D.C.? New York, D.C., I think, is going to be the start of a good rivalry right there. Yeah. And that line opened actually around like five and a half or so for D.C., and it's all the way up to seven, and I, I disagree um, I mean, I know DC's talented, but I think because of this game being a potential, you know, rivalry game, I'm I'm happy to take the seven with the Guardians. I well, was anytime these two teams get mm-hmm. together, you throw out the records, right. throw out the lines. There's just so much bad blood here that uh, it's it's going to be war. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Guardians defenders. Yep. I mean, that's part the Guardians and the defenders. I mean, that's, unbelievable. Those are how how much more of a uh, of a similar name can you get? Right. One team's guarding something, one team's defending something. Yeah. Should we take just the take under. the under right now? Right. <laughs> Play the under. Just from the name alone. And, you know, I wouldn't be mad at taking the under. In fact, um, talking about the total, Judah, real quick, five of the eight teams scored less than 20 points. So even though this game, the XFL is designed for more scoring. Like, they're design- it's designed to be fast-paced. They want each game to average two hours, 45 minutes. Um, less than an NFL game. Uh, this past weekend, it was right around two hours, 55 minutes per game, which is a little bit longer than they wanted, but still shorter than an NFL game. And they still were able to get the same amount of plays in on average as an NFL game. So nice. that's their goal. But regardless of all that, um, a lot of unders on the weekend, a lot of defense. And I think we're going to start seeing more scoring as we progress because offenses are going to get a little more creative. The kickoff return game, a little bit more creative there. Um, so I think we're going to start seeing, once they get a little bit more chemistry offensively, we're going to see more scoring. Um, I like the New York Guardians plus seven there against the defenders. You know, give me a close game in this rivalry um, on the East Coast there. In the next game, we got the Dragons hosting Tampa Bay. Again, two teams that haven't won yet. Tampa Bay Vipers, we know. They're red zone offense. They struggled. We'll see if they can get it going here. Seattle Dragons, I think they're just a really tough team at home. I think they're going to be fired up. And their uh, their fan base, we'll see how their fan base is. Yeah, it's home field advantage. Home field advantage in Seattle. So I, I like the Dragons. Money line straight up. Even money. Let's go take them. Brandon Silvers is probable, but I believe in my man B.J. Daniels, and we know Aaron Murray is not playing for Tampa Bay. Um, I also like the over in that game because we're seeing 43 right now, Judah. That's an NFL total. That's way too low. Every single total this past weekend was like 51, 52. We saw some unders, and I think this is an over adjustment right now. I know Tampa Bay can score. The three shouldn't doesn't scare me that they put up against New York because yeah. I know it was all red zone offense failure. So... I like over 43, and I like the Dragons. Final bet I like, I like the Renegades to bounce back from that loss against St. Louis. Renegades minus four at L.A. L.A., the worst team in my power rankings. And Dallas, uh, they didn't have Landry Jones. He will be back this weekend, lay it with the Renegades. A four-team, a four-part parlay, putting all those together, 13-1 to one odds. Ooh, Boom. juicy. Book it. I love it. All right, Zach's here for all your XFL questions and needs at Zach Schlegel. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. It's almost March, ladies and gentlemen. That means there will also be a college basketball angle to bet the game this year that uh, I just can't wait for. I mean, this this does stuff to you. Ooh, baby. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Zach. College basketball is right around the corner as far as the uh, conference tournaments and um, – NCAA tournament are concerned. We got to start keeping tabs on this. We are presently, uh, especially with the Pac-12, Oregon, Oregon State. We're recording this Friday the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We love you. Um, The Ducks just got a big win over Colorado, 68-60. It was the fifth time they've rallied from double digits down to win this year. And in college basketball, we're seeing it nationwide. Are there any elite teams with a capital E? Maybe Maybe not. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell. I mean, San Diego State's unbeaten. Baylor has had a nice run at number one right now, but there's been a lot of volatility at the top of the AP poll. The preseason number one team, Michigan State, fell out of the AP top 25 yeah. completely this week. First team to do that since Calipari's Kentucky in 2013 to 14. So there's a lot of undulation in the rankings. No one really knows how good or great a lot of these teams are. We focus it on the Oregon Ducks, so of course they're led by Peyton Pritchard coming out of the big win over Colorado. That means they're tied with Colorado for first place in the Pac-12 right now. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of size up not only their uh, place in the Pac-12 moving forward, the tournament in Vegas, but then where they sit um, with the tournament, what kind of seed they could get as well? Yeah, that was a that was a huge win for Oregon last night against Colorado, and now they've split the series one to one right on the year. Yep. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, though, um, he, in the last two games prior against, I believe, Stanford and Oregon State, he had his two worst games of the season. And I think he had, he had 16 points in each of those games, and last night came back and, and did his thing. And what I would like to see, Judah, is his former high school teammate, Anthony, uh, Mathis. Anthony Mathis, to get a little bit more involved because he scored in double digits, double figures in six games prior to the Pac-12 play. And since then, eight points is the most he scored during Pac-12 play. So I would like to see Mathis get things going. Uh, Was it Richardson last night that really took off 21 points? Yeah, 17 in the second half. Yeah, he he did it for the the Ducks last night. Now, uh, Oregon, Dana Altman, we know they have experience there coaching. We know Pritchard is a guy who it feels like he's been there for eight years. Um, and in the tournament, especially in the NCAA tournament, when you get there, you need a veteran point guard. You need an experienced guy like that. You need shooters. Um, you need some length and you need good coaching. So I think Oregon is set up to do some damage. Um, I, I believe that the Ducks, as long as they can finish the regular season here um, on a hot streak, it's all about getting hot at the right time. Uh, Colorado, you can't count them out as well. Um, they're definitely a sleeper, especially in the Pac-12 tournament. Arizona, uh, number three, right? right, Or I guess number two because Oregon and Colorado are tied. Arizona, you can't count them out. Oregon, Arizona, and Colorado all projected to be around, you know, a five or a six, maybe a four at the best seed in the NCAA tournament. What scares me, Judah, is that five seeds. It's not ever really a good thing to be a five seed in the tournament because we know that 12-5 upset happens every year. So tasty. So tasty. Sometimes there's even three 12-5 upsets in, in one tournament. So yep. um, 
if we're looking, and then bubble teams in the Pac-12, Stanford, they're projected to be an 11 seed, possible uh, first four play-in game okay. type of team. Yeah. And they're 10th in defensive efficiency in the nation. So they're a team to look out for in the Pac-12 tournament, at least. And then the other team, USC, is projected to be a 10 seed. So there's really, in my mind, there's five teams that are really vying for a position. Maybe UCLA is just on the outside. Um, but we have some big games this weekend that we're going to have to look out for to see you know, how things shape up in terms of seeding. Right, right. Yeah, and still a long ways to go as well. Um, right. Is Oregon good enough to match what they did last year, going to the Sweet 16, losing to the eventual national champion Virginia? From a talent standpoint, do they, ha- do they have something similar? I think they do. And especially mm-hmm. Dana Altman, he knows how to maximize his roster come March mm-hmm. every single year. And and given the rest of the landscape across the country, I do think this Oregon team, depending on the matchup and the location, I still think that they've got what it takes to at least match what they did last year getting to the Sweet 16. Agree or disagree? I agree because last season we look at Oregon, they were a, they were a sixth seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They went all the way to the championship, beat number one Washington by 20. That was and awesome. then made a Sweet 16 run. Yeah. So anything is possible with the Ducks. We've seen them go to the Final Four recently. We've seen them make the Elite Eight, Sweet 16, numerous, multiple times. So Dana Altman and the Ducks, they're always dangerous in March. And I do believe the Ducks have what it takes to make a run. But I, I, I feel I don't feel as good as I did you know, with that team back in 2016 that went all the way to the Final Four. I believe that was the 2016-2017 season. Yeah. That roster just felt so complete to me. Right. And this year, it seems just not quite there. Uh, but, you know, as long as they stay healthy, Nafali Dante, I want to see him progress here. He, he's he been out for a bit. Um, and then the other guy uh, who just went out, what is his name? I'm forgetting, but he just left and went to uh, his father's funeral, actually. But, oh, right, yeah. Um, but, you know, a- anyways, if the Ducks can get healthy and stay healthy and start peaking at the right time here, we could be looking at another run for Oregon. Francis Okoro. Yes, Francis Okoro. He's a big dude and and definitely an important piece to this Oregon team this year. Um, and then, of course, Pey- Peyton Pritchard and Mathis, the high school teammates, yeah. their chemistry needs to build. Yeah, I think Dante and Mathis are, are two of the key pieces as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Addison Patterson's yeah. dude, done a lot of good things, too. Will Richardson's been a constant Duarte. presence. So. Duarte, yeah, he, he yeah. can be up and down, but mm-hmm. defensively he can be a menace, too. Yeah. We, we saw him accumulate a, a ton of steals last week, mm-hmm. setting a couple of records, so we'll keep an eye on that. The Beavers, as you point out, they, they're going to have to at least get to the Pac-12 tournament championship game to give themselves a chance at an, at large. But, Absolutely. You know, between now and then, realistically, I think the Beavers are probably going to have to win the thing yeah, to, they, to, to get in yeah. with the AQ. I agree, I but, agree. And Oregon has had their struggles against the Beavers recently. That they have. Yeah, they've lost the last four or five. They lost mm-hmm. three in a row mm-hmm. to Oregon State. So if that matchup presents itself, that was something to uh, keep an eye on. Last thing before we wrap it up on the pod, overall, across the country, who are your top five teams that you have an eye on that you would right now be comfortable playing a future bet on possibly for a national championship? Yeah, my top five teams in the country right now, I got Kansas number one. I think they're the most complete team in the country. Ken Palm. Um, I use a lot of their ratings to kind of, you know, look at teams and decide, you know, if this is a team that can make a run deep in the tournament. Um, they're number one in defensive efficiency, number 14 offensive efficiency, eight and one on the road, and they have the number one rated strength of schedule. Their odds are 10 to one odds. And to your point earlier, Judah, there isn't really like one team or two teams that are like extremely dominant 
that are, you know, just the uh, far and beyond the best odds to win it all. There's about four or five teams right around nine to one or 10 to one odds. And that's where it's at. So there's actually opportunity right now if for you to place maybe three, two, three or four future bets on all of these top five teams and still profit. Right. You know, it's crazy right now. So Kansas, number one, number two, I got Duke. They're a team that's top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And historically, teams that are top 10 in both do very well, and they're dangerous in the tournament. Duke is also 7-1 on the road. They're on a six-game win streak, also 10-1 to odds. Mm. Number three for me, I got Baylor. Um, can't overlook the 21-game win streak they're on. 5-0 and versus AP top 25. Number four defense, number 22 offense. They beat Kansas. But I look back in that game, they forced 14 turnovers to only five for Kansas. So that was the difference there. They are undefeated on the road, Baylor is, and 10 to 1 odds as well. Number four, I like Louisville, number 30 defense, number 10 offense, 6 and 2 on the road, also 10 to 1 odds. The ACC, obviously, always a great basketball conference. I think they're a dangerous team, a sleeper. Gonzaga, number five, always a great offense, number one. Offensive efficiency, number 38 defensive. Their strength of schedule, of course, is not up there because they don't play in a, you know, a power five conference per se. Uh, 137th strength of schedule. They're actually the best odds to win it all right now, Judah, nine to one. See. Um, based on the book that I'm looking at. Uh, and then I have like kind of a, a, a team that's just on the outside of the top five for me, and that's San Diego State, just because, of course, they're on a 25 game win streak. Top five scores are all upperclassmen. I love that. I love the experience. They're top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency as well. 13 to 1 odds. I love it. Well, we're going to continue to have conversations like that throughout the rest of college basketball season, especially as we hurdle toward March Madness. It's that time of year, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Then the NBA playoffs after that, so we'll get into some of that discussion and, of course, talk XFL. Bet the game is not going anywhere, y'all. We're just getting started. For Zach Schlegel, I'm Chuda Newby. It's been a lot of fun, man. It has. It has. Let's enjoy this XFL week two and a little college hoops. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> For Zach, I'm Judah. We'll see you next week. Bet the game on 750thegame and 750thegame.com.